What is going on, New York Giant fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or drops. Appreciate you all coming back. I'm not going to do a recap on the Washington football team New York Giants game. Don't think that there is really much to talk about because a lot of the stuff we already know. And with that being said, there's also a lot of stuff that okay, well, there's nothing really to take away from this that it's going to mean much to the Giants in the future or mean much to us in the future. Jake Fromm throwing a pick six, is that going to mean much to us in the future? No, because he's probably going to be gone after this year. A couple other things as well. We know Xavier McKinney is a good safety. We know he made a couple of nice plays, almost an interception. We already know he's a good safety. We know Andrew Thomas is a good offensive tackle. So there's not really a lot to take away from that game. Also, Kenny Galladay and his little dinosaur arms, that was just very unacceptable. But people still pose the argument that the players play for Joe Judge. I don't agree with that. But we're not going to talk about the Washington football team game. We're going to talk about the most recent news the most expected news of the last few weeks. Dave Gettleman, quote-unquote, retired. And Joe Judge looks like he's going to stay for right now. There's no clear cut he's going to go or he's going to stay after the new GM comes here. It's really the new GM's decision. And I'm not going to get my false hope up. I'm not. Because this is the Giants organization. This isn't the Chiefs or the Ravens, the Patriots, this is the Giants organization. But what I will say is that they have requested to interview a lot of good-looking candidates. There's a lot of them that were on my wish list. There's a lot of them that have a lot of good resumes. And I understand for GMs, it's really hard to interpret what work they did if they weren't a GM before. And that's actually most, if not all, of the people on this list. Because if you look at a guy like Ryan Poles, right? He wasn't ever a general manager. But some say in Kansas City, he helped pick a lot of mid-round gems like Trey Smith and a couple of other guys. You have a guy like Joe Schoen who's been very involved in Buffalo as the assistant general manager, one of my top favorite guys for this job. So there is hope to be had. I just want to see who they hire at the end of the day. And I want to see if that GM fires Joe Judge, because that's personally what I want. I'm not saying, oh, Joe Judge should be left without a job. He should get a job as a special teams coordinator somewhere else or whatever the case may be. But with that being said, I need to see the results. It's a results-based league. And hiring, obviously, we could get excited if it's a candidate that us Giants fans wanted or would have wanted at this time or that time or whatever. But if they don't fire Joe Judge or are forced into keeping Joe Judge, whatever the case may be, revolving around Joe Judge, we're not going to feel that positive about it. We're going to feel like we're at rock bottom heading into 2022. With 
10 draft picks and all the other things that come with it. So as I take a sip for one second, because I feel like this might be a long podcast. This may be a short podcast. We'll see. But I'm going to start off with Dave Gettleman. I'm going to start off talking about him and a lot of the moves that he made that weren't very good during his tenure. Now, to start the season, during the offseason, and last season, I actually defended Dave Gettleman. I said he needed one more year, and this thing was going to be good, that Joe Judge was going to be a good hire, and all these other things. That's what most Giants fans felt. But with that being said, 19-46, and 46, I believe that's the record, 19-46 and 46 isn't necessarily a good record. As Bill Parcells once said, your record says what you are. Hold on, let me let me get that quote right, because I'm not trying to misquote one of the greatest coaches of all time. You are what your record says you are. That was the quote. And 1946 is not a good record. Pat Shermer, you could say, Joe Judge, whatever the case may be, Dave Gettleman did not do enough as the New York Giants general manager to earn a few more years, and he retired. I personally don't believe that him having the option of retiring was good. I'm not going to harp on it. I'm not going to lose sleep over it because he's gone. The GM spot is vacant. The Giants are looking for a new GM and are requesting interviews like I change underwear, I guess. They're requesting a lot of guys to interview for the position. So I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I do think at times that Gettleman was treated unfairly and that he doesn't get credit for some things. But with that being said, the overall scope and the overall view of his tenure is not very good because it wasn't very good. The tenure started out really badly. It had somewhat of progress during the first year of Judge with Andrew Thomas, Xavier McKinney, Matt Parrott, some of these other guys within the last few weeks of the 2020 season. Then 2021 comes in and the Giants are screwed. They finish 4-13 and and we're looking at a new GM possibly, obviously. And a new head coach, possibly. So we'll see what happens. But just overall, he didn't do a very good job. And once again, I'll say that he really didn't deserve the right to retire. Tom Coughlin was forced out. That was a resignation, but it was really a firing. Jerry Reese was fired. It's obviously out there. But I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, Jerry Reese was fired and Dave Gettleman was... You know, given the option to retire. Well, Jerry Reese, at the end of his tenure, wasn't very good. He was never really the greatest drafter. And within the last two years, I would take those two drafts, 2021 and 2020, over the last few years of Jerry Reese. Because some of these guys that Reese drafted weren't even that good to make the roster in some cases. Owa Digizua wasn't that good. Demontre Moore, he's been going from practice squad to practice squad in the last few years. Jeremy Davis was a backup wide receiver on the Chargers and the Lions for the last few years. 
there's a couple other guys that you could pick out of there and say, hey, this guy sucked. And you're really supposed to hit on those mid-round picks like you are first-round picks. But GMs are defined on those mid-round picks. Whether you're a good GM, a bad GM, your scouting department that you build overall is defined on the mid-rounds. Because in some cases, yes, the draft is a crapshoot. But the first round pick and the second round pick, that's easier. The third rounds, you have to get the role players. You have to get the depth pieces. If they turn into an eventual starter one day for your team, great. If they don't and you have a record of constantly screwing those up, it's not going to show that, oh, well, you know, this guy was a good GM. No, he wasn't a good GM. And I'm going to be very honest. I didn't necessarily start watching Giants football till 2015, 2016. I did watch Super Bowl 46, though. Because personally, if you go back to my one stream that commemorated the, the year I've been on YouTube, which was back last April, I believe, I talked about how I hated football. I was only a baseball fan. I hated football. But I got into the Giants. I learned new things every single year. So in my honest opinion, I'm not going to sit here and say, okay, well, you know, Jerry Reese, uh, you know, he deserved to retire and it's unfair. Jerry Reese, no, no. Jerry Reese was fired for what he was fired for. Dave Gettleman should have been fired. But I would rather compare that to the Coughlin thing where he was forced to resign rather than compare to the Jerry Reese thing where Jerry Reese deserved to get his ass fired with Ben McAdoo. And that you can blame on John Mara. Obviously, Mara is not going anywhere, as we all know. But let's talk about some of these moves. I'm going to take a sip real quick because I have been talking very constantly. So oddly enough, I'm going to go by position here. And some of the more infamous moves that Dave Gettleman made. There's some stuff at the end as well that really don't involve position and stuff like that, like hiring Joe Judge and Pat Shermer. That we'll talk about, obviously. And there may be a couple moves that I forget. If you guys have some moves in mind that I forgot, please put them in the chat. I would like to be reminded of them. So let's start with quarterback and running back. Number one is staying with Eli Manning and drafting Saquon Barkley. The Giants needed a new start in 2018. They hired Pat Shermer in the hopes of reviving Eli Manning's career. Dave Gettleman, one of the things that he said at his opening press conference that he wanted to run the football. And picking a running back second overall isn't necessarily the greatest way of achieving that. Saquon Barkley at the time was a generational talent coming out of Penn State, but the offensive line was pure garbage. They made two moves at the time to really refresh the offensive line. Maybe three, but all of them were not good. They re-signed John Halapio, who would be the starting center, They signed Patrick Omame to a nice chunk of change free agent contract. And then they signed Nate Solder to the highest paid offensive lineman 
contract of that year, of 2018, until whatever extension probably came after that. But I bet you today, Nate Solder is not the highest paid offensive tackle. But with that being said, those weren't necessarily great moves. And then you put no offensive line in front of him, and then you have Saquon Barkley, who's a dancing running back. But the point is, even you could say Daniel Jones, and we'll talk about that next. This is probably going to be the bridge into that. Despite Saquon Barkley not being the greatest of players this year, averaging about 3.3 yards per carry or 3.7, whatever it is, and despite Daniel Jones being average at best, and I've changed my course on Daniel Jones, they were not put into a good situation. The offensive line that was in front of Saquon Barkley with a regressing Eli Manning to his side wasn't good at all. They had to go to Chad Wheeler in week three. They had Eric Flowers playing right tackle. They would later release Eric Flowers. So there's a lot of things there where you could say, okay, Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones are not good football players, but hey, they were not given a fair shake because of the situation they were put in. And you could have picked a developmental offensive lineman or done something instead of picking Kyle Oletta. If you want to sign a backup, sign a backup. I thought Davis Webb was at least decent at the time. The first Browns preseason game wasn't very good. It wasn't. He was missing passes left and right, and then he slowly progressed, and then they cut him. But with that being said, you could keep Tanny. You could sign somebody else from God knows where or whatever. You could keep Webb. You could keep Tanny. Tanny would probably have been the backup to Eli Manning, and he was for most of 2018. But the point is, why would you waste a draft pick on Kyle Loletta, a developmental quarterback, rather than taking a skill position that you kind of need for depth, offensive line? You could have taken a quarterback. Not a quarterback, you could have taken a cornerback. Janoris Jenkins, Eli Apple. Eli Apple was traded. B.W. Webb, he was the second corner for the second half of the season. That was okay at best. It wasn't great at times. He held a lot. He caused penalties. So that's why you really play the hindsight game. Because I know in my heart, And just in myself alone, I will never be a GM. I'm not a GM. But these are the moments where you could say, okay, well, Kyle Oletta, picking him was really stupid. You could have gotten a skill position player for depth. And honestly, that's what the Giants could have done. Tyrell Crosby was there. God knows that he would have worked out or he may not have worked out. At least you could say, well, he picked an offensive lineman other than Will Hernandez. But they didn't. It was just Will Hernandez, and they signed a bunch of journeymen. Not getting a backup in 2021. This, I blame, but don't blame on him. Because he signed Mike Lennon, but Joe Judge wanted him. Joe Judge wanted Glennon, and Gettleman wanted to keep Colt McCoy. Now, McCoy wasn't the greatest of backups, but he was a game manager. He knew how to do things, really didn't turn over the ball, but didn't have arm strength. Judge wanted Glennon. They got Glennon. Glennon was terrible in his Giants tenure this past season. And we paid for that because, well, 
Maybe we didn't have a shot at the playoffs, but there was no good quarterback play. He had a turnover in every single game. One turnover or more. Whether it was a fumble, an interception, whatever the case may be. He turned the ball over consistently. That's not a good thing. And, sure, Mike Glennon, last few years, backup quarterback. That was his ceiling. But the fact that he's having, or had... Some of the worst stats of his career shows a new low for him and the Giants organization as an offense, as a bunch of talent evaluators. Also signing Jonathan Stewart. Now, this one had more ramifications because of the contract, not necessarily the player. And obviously, they signed him because he was with Carolina and he got cut by Carolina. But with that being said... It wasn't necessarily a good signing. He, after week four, went on IR, and then they depended on Wayne Gallman. They tried putting Wayne Gallman down for so many years after McAdoo left. 2018, they signed Stewart, didn't work out. Gallman jumps back up. 2019, Gallman was the starter after Saquon Barkley had the ankle injury. Then they bench him after he comes back, signed Javorius Allen. They had Austin Walter and John Hilleman for a game or two. And then Allen was the backup again. Then they bring in Javon Leak and Dion Lewis in 2020. Gallman still gets back up. And he has probably his best season. And then they end up letting him walk. He, I think, now is on a practice squad or was with the 49ers or the Falcons last time I checked. But he may be a free agent. I don't know. So there's that. Wide receiver. I'm going to start chronologically because it makes more sense. Trading OBJ, signing Golden Tate after. Now, listen, I, at the time, had a problem with Dave Gettleman trading Odell Beckham Jr. Now, at the time, I, I was sort of a casual fan. I was starting to get to know the team, whatever. And I was just listening to fan pages. Not necessarily content creators. Also, I was listening to the radio, so those are more of the talking heads and the, what do you call it? I don't know, just the pundits overall. And revisionist history, hindsight, I would have traded Odell Beckham Jr. I agree with the trade, but unfortunately, a lot of the product that we got back didn't work out. Drill Peppers, I thought he was decent for the Giants. 2020 was his best year. 2019 really wasn't his best year. I mean, he had the season-ending injury, just wasn't that good of a player besides the turnovers that he created. And then 2021, they didn't really put him in the box a lot. They left him out in coverage against these really big tight ends. And there was one game against the Rams where they left him in coverage against Cooper Cup. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I get it. You know, the offense put you in a bad situation with Daniel Jones turning over the ball four times, but... Jabril Peppers against Cooper Cup, the best wide receiver, if not one of the best in the league, didn't make sense. But I would have agreed more with the trade if we got valuable things back. O'Shane Zimenez, he's a bust third-round pick. Dexter Lawrence, he's not too much of an impact player. You really expect those first-round picks to be impact players. And then Jabril Peppers, afterwards you signed Golden Tate. 
what are you sending as a message? Golden Tate, I think his contract was four years, $40 million or something like that. Golden Tate was coming off of a really disappointing season with the Lions and the Eagles. What are you doing there? Just draft a wide receiver. But they put the cap on Golden Tate. They wasted the cap on him, and he was cut two years later. But it just didn't make sense. Just didn't make sense. You're trading your star wide receiver who you signed and traded. And then you sign Golden Tate. Doesn't make sense. Tight end. I really don't have too much of an issue with the tight end position. I think it's mainly player execution. But signing Kyle Rudolph, who was supposed to be a red zone target. Excuse me for the hiccuping and the burping inside me. I apologize. That's probably why I look weird on camera. But with that being said, going back to my original point, Kyle Rudolph was supposed to be a red zone target. He wasn't. He caught one or two touchdowns this past season. He looked a little washed. But the Giants signed him to a two-year, $16 million contract. Not 60, $16 million contract. That's $8 million per year for a washed tight end. So... There's that in terms of the tight end position. O-line, there's a lot to get into. I'm going to take a sip real quick because, once again, I've been talking a lot. Signing Nate Solder and Patrick Omame. This is one of the biggest hits the Giants took because Dave Gettleman chose to sign these two. Nate Solder was the backup plan because their main priority, meaning the New York Giants, was signing Andrew Norwell. Norwell went to Jacksonville, and Solder came here and received a very fat paycheck. Now, a lot of people have been debating the last couple of years, did Nate Solder just look good because Brady got the ball out quickly? It's very possible. It is very possible. And there was a reason that the New England Patriots let him walk so quickly. I think he received one extension during his years in New England, maybe. Because he was drafted out of Colorado State in 2011, and his final season was 2017. So maybe there was like a one-year thing or whatever, but I don't know. With that being said, record-breaking contract, and he was just so bad. Yeah, the last seven, eight games in 2018 was good, but when Daniel Jones was the quarterback in 2019, for the most part, his play got exposed because Eli Manning was not the quarterback and Daniel Jones as a rookie. Yeah, he had flaws, fumbling and all this other stuff, but he hung on to the ball a little bit more. So Nate Solder ended up being one of the worst left tackles and he allowed 11 sacks and 57 pressures, I believe the number was. Something like that, but not very good. Patrick Mame, he lasted seven weeks and was cut. Less than seven weeks and he was cut. He was benched for John Greco because Spencer Pulley was moving to center. But that signing was a big, fat L. Drafting Will Hernandez. I liked the signing at the time, but this could also fall on player execution and coaching. Because Will Hernandez looked his worst this past year. He was working with Matt Parrott in the offseason. Oh, it's going to be a new hype year for Will Hernandez. He's going to... Go back to his rookie year self as a solid guard, meal things, stuff like that. But he looked like the second worst offensive lineman on this offensive line. Mental mistakes, not picking up stunts. He looked like a deranged rookie. 
I'm being dead serious when I say that. 2018, he had a solid season. For a rookie. Decent season. Second year, he regressed a little bit. Next year, got COVID, was rotated in at times, but it wasn't the greatest of play. And then 2021, shit hit the fan and he just wasn't good. So that falls on Dave Gettleman's resume. And someone brought this up, and I like the point, but sometimes you have to go to other schools for skill position players. Get a, a bunch of winners. UTEP is a losing college. They're not the greatest in football. Though it was them or San Antonio that went 10-0 and this season or something like that in college football, but I think it was San Antonio. One of those other colleges. But anyway, UTEP is not necessarily the most winningest college. It's not the best school, and it's not necessarily a winning school. UConn, you could make the same case for them. Their head coach resigned this past year because he couldn't deal with the lack of effort and all this other crap from the players. We drafted Matt Pear from there. There's a lot of other schools. We drafted some of these guys, and they turned out to be busts. And I'm not saying that guys out of Alabama or Georgia won't be busts. That is true. But Corey Ballantyne out of Washburn. Yeah, he was misutilized in a New York Giants uniform from slot to outside, slot to outside, whatever the case may be, with the cornerback depth. And trust me, how he got into the NFL in terms of the day after he was drafted, it is a sad story. It is heartbreaking. But with that being said, on the field, he wasn't good. He came from Washburn, small school, smaller school than other schools. So there's that. Relying on developmental guys start and relying on backup journeymen. So it went two ways in two sets of years for Dave Gettleman. The first two years, he really relied on backups and journeymen. Then again, you could say 2021, the same thing. But John Greco, John Halapio, some of these other guys that he brought in in 2018 did not work out. John Halapio, he broke his foot. I think, in the Dallas Cowboys game. And he ended up being out for the season. And then the following year, he was bad at center. He was really bad. John Greco, he was decent at best. He was decent at best. And then, I think he's retired now. But he didn't come back for the 2019 season. Jamon Brown, they claimed him off the waiver wire. He was a decent starter. Not the greatest. He did have his struggles and his penalties. But he was decent at best. Chad Wheeler, they kept him from the Reese regime, wasn't good at right tackle. I'm trying to think off the top of my head some of the other guys. Spencer Pulley, he was really supposed to be a role player, but because of the lack of depth at the offensive line position, he was thrown in to be a starter. He played decent down the stretch, but was bad and given opportunities in 2019. So there's that. And then we skip 2020, 2021, relying on Shane Lemieux and Matt Pear. Okay, 2020, they rotated. They did what they had to do. They played snaps, flaws, pros, whatever you want to say. That was their first year. 2021, Matt Pear couldn't beat out Nate Solder, and I honestly think that's still a coaching thing. I honestly do think that it was a misevaluation by the coaches, but Matt Pear did nothing to help himself. Then you have Shane Lemieux, who gets injured, patella tendon tear, 
And that's not totally Dave Gettleman's fault, but you're relying on a fifth-round pick to start at left guard and you didn't draft any offensive linemen? Doesn't make any sense. Plus the fact that you traded for a lot of offensive linemen at the last minute because A, Joe Looney and Zach Fulton retired during training camp, B, because your offensive line for the two-squad and three-squad sucked. Chad Slade sucked. Jackson Barton sucked. Brett Hedgie sucked. Jonathan Harrison was okay. Jake Burton sucked. All those guys that were on the two and three squad offensive lines, they sucked. They were not capable of being backups. So what did Dave Gettleman do? He had to go out there, trade B.J. Hill, who respectfully was not getting a roster spot because Danny Shelton and Raymond Johnson would have had spots in front of him. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, uh, should have kept B.J. Hill because B.J. Hill was not liked by this coaching staff. So you could say, oh, it's Gettleman's fault, but it's not Gettleman's fault. But he chose Billy Price, who couldn't even crack the starting lineup in Cincinnati. And he was a first-round pick. It's not like he was an undrafted free agent. He was a first-round pick. Then Nick Gates gets hurt and all this other crap, but Ben Bredesen, who was a fourth-round pick from the prior year out of Michigan, Billy Price obviously mentioned, signing Matt Skura, he was a decent starter in Baltimore. Not really above average. And then Wes Martin, who was a failed fourth-round pick from Washington. That was all at the last minute. Now let's talk about the defense. Defensive line. Not replacing Dalvin Tomlinson effectively. I'm obviously going out of chronologicals because B.J. Hill and R.J. McIntosh are stuff to talk about. Great. You wanted to sign Leonard Williams to an extension. You wanted to prioritize other skill positions. That is cool. But you replace Dalvin Tomlinson with Danny Shelton, Raymond Johnson, and other guys. Not cool. Not good at all. And you could say some of these moves that Gettleman made. Yeah, they're good, but the replacement is so bad that the move and the transaction in total just looks bad. I'll talk about it later. Letting Justin Pugh and Weston Richburg, Rich, Weston Richburg walk. I don't know why I can't say that. Letting those two walk was a good move. But who'd you replace them with? Patrick Omame and Will Hernandez and John Halapio. Those guys didn't work, so it looks bad. Even though Pugh and Richburg were very injury prone in their New York Giant years. But overall... Not replacing Dalvin Tomlinson effectively hurt this Giants team because they were very bad against the run. When Danny Shelton was in, double teams left and right, and he would just be pushed down like a sack of fucking sugar or something. I don't know. But he he was just so bad in a Giants uniform this year. And you could blame that on Judge because Judge helped bring him in because he was a New England guy. Being obsessed with 300-pound defensive linemen, plus... Dexter Lawrence, you can make a case for. And some of these moves have worked. Some of these moves haven't worked. But one comparison I've seen that I've actually liked is you look at the 49ers, right? In 2019 specifically, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, those guys can both rush the passer and stop the run, and they're under 300 pounds. They're more mobile. They have more speed than 320-pound guys, 340-pound guys. Dexter Lawrence, he can rush the passer, just not as good and not as effective as Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. 
That's the difference. They can try to defeat the double team easier compared to Austin Johnson, Dexter Lawrence, and all these other guys. Danny Shelton, 300-plus pounds, can't do shit. So that's the problem. If you're going to invest in 300-pound-plus defensive linemen, at least get some sort of production that means that they're going to impact the game on a positive note. Signing Leonard Williams despite Dalvin Tomlinson. Signing Leonard Williams back I thought was a good move. Just the contract is going to be so much hell to get out of. I think after next year they can get out of it. But Leonard Williams getting 11.5 sacks and leading that pass rush, that lackluster pass rush, should have meant something in a positive and a negative way because he was their leading pass rusher. He was the guy who can get off the snap and pressure the quarterback and hit the quarterback in 2020. I had guys like Kyler Fackrell and O'Shane Zimenez at the first part of the year, at least. Carter Coughlin. Those weren't guys that were going to be high-impact players. They were going to be rotational players. And Marcus Golden, who could have had the most impact if he stayed the whole year, well, he's in Arizona now putting up numbers, Pro Bowl alternative. But with that being said, he would have been more of an impact player. But Leonard Williams getting the 11 and a half sacks, and I said it. I said it, and a lot of people chose not to believe me and chose to say, whoa, well, you're actually being a little harsh on Leonard Williams. I said he would get six and a half sacks this year. I think that's actually what he's at. Six, seven, something like that. But I predicted a regression. And he regressed because they wanted to be more aggressive in the first part of the year. But sometimes he was just silent against good offensive lines, against bad offensive lines. He had that streak at the beginning of the year where he was sacking quarterbacks. He sacked Matt Stafford. He sacked a couple other quarterbacks. But there was that streak, I think, Raiders game in that stretch where he didn't touch the quarterback where he didn't make impact plays. And that's why the edge position is so important. (sighs) B.J. Hill and R.J. McIntosh being bust. I mentioned earlier about the mid-round pick stuff that defines you as a general manager. B.J. Hill had a successful rookie season. If it wasn't for the Damon Harrison trade, that stuff would have not happened. He would have not, at the time, broken the single season rookie sack record because obviously it didn't count sacks in 1981 when Lawrence Taylor was a rookie but BJ Hill he broke out towards the end of 2018 and didn't really show much the next two years in his limited snaps and some of that's on coaching but definitely on him and he was a role player a key role player and still is in Cincinnati because that team is going to the playoffs R.J. McIntosh, I can't really make a case for. I mean, once again, it defines you as a GM if you could hit on those mid-round picks or not. Linebacker. Y'all know the first one I'm hitting. Trading for Alec Ogletree. You traded Jason Pierre-Paul in the same time span. Okay. That could be a good move if you're rebuilding. But you package some of those picks and other picks to trade for Alec Ogletree, who had a similar contract and was coming off of a bad year with the Rams. Not really ideal, Dave Gettleman. Not really ideal. And he was bad the two years with the Giants, and then they cut him. Because 
He had five interceptions in his first year as a Giant. He had one the next year. So he had six in two years. But some of those really overshadow. If you're looking at it from a casual standpoint, those really overshadow how bad he was. He was a bad coverage linebacker. Did not help the running game one bit. And the thing that helped the running game at the back end of 2019 was acquiring Leonard Williams because him forcing the pressure and penetrating offensive linemen really helped the Giants at least do a little bit better in the running game. It wasn't Ogletree. So Ogletree was just really bad as a Giant. And I liked the move at the time because I was a casual, but it was just really bad. It was a bad move. And then we get to one of the main ones because the Giants run a 3-4. Not getting edge help until 2021, Aziz Ojolari, Quincy Roche, Ellison Smith. You had guys in the past, O'Shane Zimenez, Lorenzo Carter. You traded JPP and Olivier Vernon, cutting Aquara, and then letting Devin Kennard walk. Now, Devin Kennard, he was a decent rotational guy. In the Giants 4-3 system with Spagnolo, I would have kept him. I would have kept him. And you could make a case, oh, well, he really didn't do anything for the Giants in some of these cases. Okay, but it's that situation again. Who do you replace him with? They replace him with Kareem Martin, Josh Morrow, all these other guys, right? They didn't work out. They didn't work out in a Giants uniform, which makes the Devin Kennard letting him walk thing look really bad. And also it looks really bad because Romeo Quara and Devon Kennard, with the Lions in the first year of Matt Patricia, had over seven sacks. Something the Giants could have used on their team in 2018. The leading sacker was Olivier Vernon, who missed a lot of games due to injury because he was injury prone. He really wasn't a consistent pass rusher. And then Authentic, shout-outs to him, he brought up a good point about Dave Gettleman. He drafts the same type of guys over and over again. O'Shane Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter, speed rushers, not really power rushers. And Lorenzo Carter, this past streak he had, really good. You know, maybe he comes back on a veteran minimum deal, something like that, one-year contract, one-year prove a deal. But O'Shane Zimenez, what do you see out of him? He probably hasn't gotten a hit on the quarterback since his rookie year. And I said it, this coaching staff does not like O'Shane Zimenez. A lot of people questioned me on that, and I was right. Now, I didn't want to be right on that, but it is what it is. Cornerback, caving to draft DeAndre Baker. It came out in that one Tyler Dunn article that Pat Shermer was really in on drafting DeAndre Baker because they needed a corner, and he convinced Dave Gettleman that he was going to fix DeAndre Baker. DeAndre Baker was sleeping in meetings, wasn't answering his phone with his trainer, whatever the case may be, pre-draft process. And Dave Gettleman warned Pat Shermer about it, but Pat Shermer wanted him. Dave Gettleman still drafted him. The GM picked him, traded up a couple of picks, including their second rounder, which they could have used on an offensive lineman or a skill position of some sort. And what happened? DeAndre Baker was horrible in his rookie year. He was lazy, sleeping in meetings. Pat Shermer called him out in front of his teammates. And then the whole situation in Florida a couple months later, whether he was innocent or not, he was cut by the Giants, and that was a very much wasted first-round pick. So there's that. Letting Jack Rabbit go for nothing. Obviously, he said an R-word. 
And that's not a very nice word. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this, this, and this. No. But you could have suspended Jack Rabbit and traded him for something. That didn't go down as a compensatory pick. If they would have let him walk in a few years, that goes down as a compensatory pick as long as they don't sign somebody for the same value. But they let him go for nothing. And there was a lot of comparisons to the Josh Brown situation a few years back. But with that being said, they could have got him for something and just suspended him. So God knows what could have happened in a scenario where he gets suspended, they trade him, or whatever the case may be in that situation. And I blame Dave Gettleman a little bit for not signing a good cornerback to after the Baker incident. Ross Cockrell, he was not very good this past year in Tampa Bay, I think. I think I'm getting that perspective right. But look at the cornerbacks that you had to get, or at least had to play with for the first couple of weeks, and just really the whole season. Isaac Yadam, he was decent at best. Very undersized, not very good tackler. Ryan Lewis, not very good when defending the deep ball. You had, what's his face? Corey Ballantyne, started the first two games, was horrible. They cut him later on. So, not very ideal. And I get it, the Baker thing, you saw it coming, but you didn't see it coming, but you have to adjust in those situations. One of his worst moves was drafting Sam Beal. Drafting Sam Beal. Now, they did get the third-round pick back because of the Odell Beckham trade, but that could have been a key role player. Sam Beal could have been something in a Giants uniform had his injury history not piled up on him. And I think he was recently on the Giants practice squad again, but I don't know where he is right now. It was a failed pick, and it is what it is. Safety, relying on Curtis Riley and Antoine Bethea. One mistake after another. It took Joe Judge to fix that mistake. Yet James Betcher tried to convert a special teams cornerback, Curtis Riley, to free safety, who was a very bad tackler, didn't have any good angles on the football, and just was bad overall. And they converted him to free safety. He started the 16 games. He got benched in week 17 because he didn't try when trying to tackle Blake Jarwin. And then you replace him with a washed veteran, Antoine Bethea. He retired, I believe, a year later. But he wasn't good defending the deep ball. And the one mistake, one of many, that the Betcher, Shermer, However you want to call it, Regime wanted to do is they kept bringing in guys from their past systems, role players. It's not even like you're bringing in Chandler Jones or Patrick Peterson. You're bringing in Antoine Bethay, who was washed, and they're teaching the young guys the system. Isn't that what coaching's for? So that's what I just didn't get. But they later fixed the issue somewhat by getting Logan Ryan and then Xavier McKinney, Julian Love. He's decent. He's really a role player. And Jabril Peppers obviously came into the mix. But extending Logan Ryan wasn't the greatest of ideas either. That's, I think, more on Abrams because he negotiated that on Christmas. And just wasn't a good idea. That's why Abrams should not be considered. And per Albert Breer at this moment, he is not going to be interviewed for the job. So he will stay as the uh, salary cap analyst 
hopefully the new GM fires him and a lot of other people in that front office too. So special teams and other stuff. He helped Joe Judge draft Gary Brightwell instead of Trey Smith. I mean, I I just hate doing this hindsight thing. But with that being said, Trey Smith turns out good for the Chiefs. And then you take a look at the Giants situation. They drafted Gary Brightwell, who ended up on IR and wasn't even used as a running back. I don't think he took any carries during the season. And then just hiring Joe Judge and Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer, I be, I feel like, was uh, Steve Tisch and John Mara, too, because they were trying to revitalize Eli's career. Looking back on it, I may probably would have had to keep Pat Shermer because he drafted Daniel Jones. He helped draft Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones was actually decent under that system, but at the same time, Giants were not winning football games because of very bad defense. And Joe Judge, I mean, just the whole philosophy is ass backwards. You're going to build the secondary first. No, you have to build from front to back, not back to front. Doesn't make any sense. So some good moves that he did make, and some of these moves can really be determined as bad moves because... Okay, you did this, but you replaced him with who? Drafting Andrew Thomas, Xavier McKinney, they look like hits so far. Aaron Robinson looks like a hit so far. Maybe he's not a hit in two years. We'll see, but he looks promising. Tate Crowder, Carter Coughlin, and Cam Brown as role players. I like those three draft picks. Those are how you're supposed to hit in those later rounds. Not like Jerry Reese and Dave Gettleman in the prior years. But those are the picks you should hit on. And those are three very good 6th, 7th round picks for that value. Signing James Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, Blake Martinez. Bradbury's an average corner now, I guess. He really regressed from his first year in a Giants uniform. Was a pro bowler than this year. Just wasn't the same player, but still a decent cornerback. Uh, Dory Jackson, he was really the number one corner this year. He played great. He had one interception. If he played more games, I would have voted him for the Pro Bowl, but the Pro Bowl is obviously a popularity contest. And then you have Blake Martinez, who tore his ACL this past year, but the prior year he was a really good linebacker, especially in the running game for the New York Giants. So there's that. Injuries, you could somewhat blame on Dave Gettleman, but I'm not going to really blame the Blake Martinez injury on him. Finding a gem in Nick Gates. Um, they kept him around after his injury that ended the season for him in 2018. I don't know what it was. 2019, he played a couple of games at right tackle and right guard. Was a decent enough player to earn a spot on the roster the following year and be the starting center. 2021, he gets injured. I can't blame Gettleman for... Gates' injury, but I can blame him because he didn't get depth. Billy Price was the backup center, and Billy Price was just horrible. Sorry, not sorry. Drafting Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton, I feel like, is good value for a fifth-round selection, but he's just not lived up to what he was in his first year. I feel like he's really regressed. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, he... He missed on Darius Lane. I feel like that's more player execution than it is Dave Gettleman. But I thought that was a decent draft pick, at least. Working in the waiver wire for role players, Nate Stupar, Spencer Pulley, Antonio Hamilton, Jalen Smith, a couple other guys as well. The problem with it is Spencer Pulley saw meaningful time. He was a decent center. Nate Stupar saw time at linebacker, 
which was really bad towards the end of the 2018 season. And then Antonio Hamilton saw cornerback time at the first part of the 2019 season because the Giants did not have enough corner depth at times, and they didn't have enough offensive line depth or linebacker depth. Hell, Ukemi Iligwi, which probably 90% of Giant fans don't know who the hell that is, saw some snaps at linebacker at the end of the 2018 season. So there's that. Trading Eli Apple and Damon Harrison, you had to get rid of those guys because they were not going to be a part of your future. But you replaced Eli Apple with DeAndre Baker, and you replaced Damon Harrison with Dexter Lawrence, who, yes, is somewhat of an impact player, but he's not the impact player you want would be because he was selected as a first-round pick. Letting Weston Richburg and Justin Pugh walk, good move, but who'd you replace him with? Will Hernandez and Patrick Mame and John Jalapio? Not very good. Not very good in hindsight. Signing Graham Gano, I mean, signing Graham Gano, the ultimate GOAT and the scoring leader for the Giants, how could you not actually say that was Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge? So I'll commend him for that. Training for Riley Dixon. Riley Dixon was actually a good punter his first two years with the Giants. I really feel that the Joe Judge era just messed him up because I don't think it has anything to do with Thomas McGahee. I think Judge did something to fuck him up with the special teams unit where the special teams just went down, 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 down. With the first two years, it was good. It was solid. Gunners and returns, not many return yards, whatever. And then the last two years, it just really hasn't been good. So there's that. Um, I don't think I have anything else. But let's talk about Joe Judge for a few seconds, and we'll talk about offensive coordinator and the GM vacancy and some candidates as well. I know this podcast has been running for a little while here. I'm going to take a sip real quickly because I have been talking a lot. Refreshing. So the Giants look right now like they're keeping Joe Judge. Now, now, it's not necessarily confirmed because the new GM can come in and say, okay, well, I don't want to work with Joe, so I'm going to fire him. And the Giants will let him do that, apparently. And if the new GM comes in and says, okay, well, I'm going to work with Joe Judge, they're going to let him do that, and Joe Judge will stay. But it's kind of skittish that the Giants really didn't make their decision on Joe Judge. It's skittish, in all honesty, because, well, Matt Nagy was fired, Mike Zimmer was fired, hell, Brian Flores was fired, some of these other guys were fired. Their organizations made a decision on them. Whether it was a good decision or a bad decision, they made the decision on their head coaches. They fired them. They fired them. The problem with this process is you're waiting for a new GM to come in, and you're going to miss out on a possibility, a lot, of head coaching candidates if you fire a judge. And you will miss out on offensive coordinator candidates because if you retain Joe Judge or if you do not retain Joe Judge, there's a lot of offensive coordinator candidates like Ken Dorsey, Pep Hamilton, those guys that will be interviewing for jobs elsewhere, and they may get the job before the Giants make a decision on a decision on Joe Judge. Which is sad because, excuse me, the Giants are this type of organization, the last-minute thinking, the clown show that Joe Judge says that the Giants are not. But this is the problem. They should have had their decision on Joe Judge weeks ago. What is a Week 17, Week 18 game 
against the Washington football team with Jake Fromm going to change your mind about Joe Judge? It shouldn't have changed your mind. You should have had a decision set. Now, if Daniel Jones was the quarterback, different story. But this is going to delay a lot of head coaching interviews, possibly, if Judge is fired. And it's going to delay a lot of offensive coaching staff interviews. Same with the defense, too, because if Joe Judge is fired, Patrick Graham's not coming back. You could easily have Vic Fangio as your DC, or you could have Brian Flores as your DC. Those two guys. But with that being said, you're not going to get them if you don't make a decision fast enough. And you could also say that if Patrick Graham takes a head coaching job, but I don't think he will. He'll get interviewed, but I just don't think he will. So some reasons to not keep Joe Judge, I've mentioned them all before. Supposedly he wants Kevin Abrams as a GM, and I honestly think that's New England-like where you're going to have a puppet as a GM, basically a pillow, a placeholder, and Joe Judge will be making all of the decisions with Kevin Abrams negotiating the contracts for the rookies and the free agents. So honestly... That would and wouldn't be a bad idea. It would be because Abrams would be a puppet. It wouldn't be because, well, a GM, if he was in Abrams' shoes, would judge as the head coach. He would have to get more of Judge's players. If Judge is fired, if Judge is fired, he would have to go release all of the players he doesn't want for the next head coach and would have to get players for the next head coach. So it does not make any sense. You're better off just either keeping Judge and hiring Abrams, which is likely not happening now, or firing Judge and just bringing in a new head coach for a new set of circumstances and a rebuild. So for the fourth down stuff, a lot of times this season when the Giants were supposed to be aggressive, they got conservative. The quarterback sneaks, I didn't understand. I'm not going to throw a fit about it, but I didn't understand it. Oh, well, you know, on fourth down, we needed to give the punter space. How about you be aggressive? You're 4-12 at the time. What difference is it going to make, right? GM head coaching timeline, that's what I was talking about. You're going to bring a new GM in to get players for Joe Judge, and then what if Joe Judge is fired? What if he's on the hot seat? Doesn't make any sense. It's really weird. His offenses were historically bad. 31st in total rankings in the last two years each. 2020 31st, 2021 31st. And you fire Jason Garrett looking like the scapegoat and Freddie Kitchens comes in, your pal, and his play calling is effectively worse. The offense overall is just effectively worse. And he said in a presser, listen, scoring touchdowns every drive is not necessarily my concern. It's not necessarily a priority. Dude, What do the Chiefs do? What do the Packers do? All these other teams in the NFL, what do they do? They score points every drive. They have that mentality. Not, oh, we're going to punt this drive and let our defense do the work. No, that's 1981. That's not 2022. Not great with talent evaluating. In terms of this, bringing in Danny Shelton and having him playing some snaps in some of these games and just being really pushed over in the running game. Deciding that Will Hernandez is better than Ben Bredesen. Now, we could see from the outside, but we can't see from the inside. Which the B reporters would obviously tell us because I have a feeling they actually like Joe Judge and they want him back, whatever the case may be. But anyway, but anyway, 
How is Ben Bredesen at times not better than Will Hernandez, who's creating false start penalties, creating holding penalties, giving up sacks on stunts? How is Ben Bredesen not better than Will Hernandez? How is Nate Solder not better? I would say, how is Nate Solder better than Matt Parrott at times? Rob Sale goes out to say, oh, well, you know, Matt Parrott doesn't have the dog in him. What does Nate Solder show you? I'm still hung on the fact that's mostly coaching. Matt Parrott has a lot to do with it, but I'm still hung on the fact that his failure has to do with a lot of coaching. Danny Shelton replacing him. Actually, no. Danny Shelton replacing Dalvin Tomlinson with him. Didn't make any sense. And then Nate Ebner on special teams holding a spot for him for a few weeks because he was coming back from qualifying for the Olympics or some shit like that, etc., etc. And that's where you have to be a head coach and oversee it. And sometimes you have to play with tools you didn't necessarily purchase. Because I'm tired of hearing this argument, oh, Joe Judge didn't get his own players, this, 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 whatever. As an NFL coach, you have to show you're good at just going through adversity by looking at the talent on the field and saying, okay, well, this guy's not good enough. We're going to put in another guy. I'm going to see what happens. Maybe that works. Maybe that doesn't. But with that being said, that's what defines a good head coach and a bad head coach. That's what separates the two, and Joe Judge is a bad head coach. Very conservative. We know that. Plays field position game with a bad punter and special teams unit. Special teams has regressed. Punter has regressed. Kicker obviously has done better. But the special teams unit has given up a lot of return yards in the kicking game and in the punting game. Dixon shanks punts time and time again. And the special teams unit is just horrible. It's just horrible. And... We would not be reflecting much on this if Joe Judge was not a special teams coordinator before he got to the New York Giants. It worked in New England. I don't know why it didn't work here. And just overall has not proven enough for a third season. For some coaches, you can see somewhat of an improvement. Cliff Kingsbury won, what was it, five games his first year. His second year, he won eight games. This year, they're in the playoffs. Zach Taylor won two games in his first year, won four games in his second year, won, I believe, ten games in his third year, and now they're in the playoffs. With Joe Judge, we're giving excuses for him. Six wins in his first year, four wins in his second year. And I get it. It's not easy to have Mike Glenn and Jake Fromm as your quarterback. But look at those first three games, all winnable, all winnable. Denver was winnable, Washington was winnable, and the Falcons, that game was winnable because the Falcons were coming off a blowout loss to the Buccaneers where Matt Ryan turned it over a few times. I believe that was the game they were coming off of. Denver, how many times on defense, offense, whatever the case may be, they were getting beat on defense, they were not scoring, executing on offense because of penalties. Defense was really bad against Washington. What did they do once the Bradbury interception came to fruition? They played prevent offense. They kicked the field goal, and they lost the game because the defense gave up a couple of big plays. So there's that. But to finally end off today's show, and we're reaching an hour almost, 
Giants offensive coordinator vacancy and candidates and GM vacancy and candidates as well. I think I will actually go with the GM candidates right now and also talk about who they interviewed or are planning to interview at this minute. But let me get that list right up for you. So they have requested to interview the following people. Monty Austin Ford from Tennessee. Joe Schoen from Buffalo. He is the assistant GM of the Buffalo Bills. And that probably won't happen if they want shown till after the playoffs, after they get eliminated. But that actually might actually happen during their playoff run because I think extracting a head coach candidate from a team is different from extracting a GM candidate from a team. But nonetheless, Adrian Wilson, former safety from the Arizona Cardinals, Ryan Cowden from the Tennessee Titans, Adam Peters from San Francisco, Rand Carthon from San Francisco, and Ryan Poles, who is a candidate I also like as well, from Kansas City. They have not requested anyone else at the time of this recording. But some other candidates, Dave Ziegler, player personnel director in New England, Kevin Abrams already mentioned, but he's not getting interviewed, Ed Dodds, assistant GM in Indianapolis, John Dorsey, former GM of the Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns, personnel executive of Detroit in this past season, and then before that, a front office consultant for the Philadelphia Eagles, Will McClay, who is probably not going to the Giants, knowing he is the vice president of player personnel for the Dallas Cowboys, Elliot Wolf, front, of, uh, front office consultant currently with the New England Patriots, was the director of player personnel a few years ago in Green Bay and was the former assistant general manager for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I think that was actually during Dorsey's years, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Scott Pioli, former Chiefs GM and former assistant Falcons GM, which I don't know why people are pulling for him. I don't want him. Ryan Poles, Chiefs assistant director of player personnel. I would like him. He helps dig out a lot of mid-round gems from what we hear, but also that's assistant director of player personnel. That's not GM. And it's going to be tough to really authenticate what these guys do because how do we know what they actually do? We just have to rely on what a GM says about them, what a reliable source says about them because we don't know unless we're inside the building what they actually do, what they actually say. And then Thomas Dimitrov, former Falcons GM and former New England scout. I do not want him. I don't know why people on WFA want him. But anyway, some offensive coordinator candidates. I have three that I really like, and then we'll go down the list as well. Ken Dorsey, quarterback coach from the Bills. I would welcome that. Mike Kafka, quarterback coach from the Chiefs. I would welcome that. Pep Hamilton, quarterback coach, form, formerly the Chargers. Uh, right now, the Houston Texans, but the Panthers are interviewing him, trying to prime as their offensive coordinator. So the Giants better get a move on if he is a candidate the Giants are looking for, but I don't see it happening. Russ Calloway, currently the offensive assistant, or one of the many offensive assistants for the New York Giants. Freddie Kitchens, the past uh, interim OC for the Giants, former interim OC for the Browns, head coach, whatever. Matt Nagy. Former Chiefs offensive coordinator, former Bears head coach. His play calling has really regressed, so absolutely not. Doug Peterson, Chiefs offensive coordinator a couple of years ago, and most recently the Eagles head coach, so maybe, maybe not. Jay Gruden, most recently the 
Jaguars offensive coordinator, but before that was the head coach of the Washington football team, Redskins, wherever you want to call it. And then before that, how he got the job, he was the Bengals offensive coordinator for a couple of years. Now, if they choose to retain him, he won't be on the list. But if they choose to not retain him, I would be so in for this guy, Clint Kubiak, Vikings offensive coordinator. Anthony Lynn, former Chargers head coach, former Lions offensive coordinator most recently, and former interim offensive coordinator for the Bills, not necessarily on that train. Joe Brady, former Panthers offensive coordinator, not necessarily on that train either. Ron Curry, currently the Saints quarterback coach, maybe, and then Luke Getze, the current Packers quarterback coach. So there's a couple of guys there. But that's it, guys. Hope you enjoyed. Over an hour long. Like, comment, subscribe, turn on post notifications. So you know when a live stream pops, video drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. Hopefully, the Giants give us some hope in terms of the head coaching search, if it happens, and the GM search. Hopefully, Joe Schoen becomes the next general manager of the New York Giants and kicks the other Joe out of town, or else we'll be known as the New York Joes. I'm going to run with that joke until something actually happens. But peace out, guys. See you later, and stay cool.